Well, the title of my message this morning is The Power of an Invitation. We just responded to an invitation by receiving communion. And to most of us, most of us, there is something special about receiving an invitation. As I was thinking about that, though, in my own mind, I thought, man, with all the social media stuff and all the things we're getting invited to all the time, uh, the specialness of it sometimes seems to be waning. But real invitations coming from those that we know have a special meaning. It, it, it tells us that they're, we are appreciated, that whoever it is cares about us enough to actually send us an invitation. You know, we, we start out, golly, how many of you remember those horrible moments in elementary school when you were invited to be on one team or another? If you weren't one of the first ones invited, it didn't feel all that special, did it? But it's a form of an invitation, even when we're choosing teams in elementary school. There's all kinds of invitations. I was invited to go on a blind date. At the same time, my wife was being invited to go on a blind date. And we responded to that invitation with fear and trembling. (laughs) At least she did. (laughs) Great fear and trembling. But in every invitation, there is an amazing potential of power. You know, most of us, every relationship we had started somehow or another in a form of an invitation. And depending on the response, some of those invitations have that power to change our lives completely. Some of them aren't quite as significant, but they do bring about change and opportunity. You know, sometimes it's an invitation as simple as, as having somebody ask you to go out to lunch, to meet with you for lunch. Sometimes it's something way more important, like maybe asking someone to marry you and spend the rest of your life with you. That one's pretty life-changing. It can be anything. One of the most life-changing invitations that I ever extended was was extended or was extended to me, had to be extended multiple times. And I'll tell you about that a little later. But an invitation to just come and see this whole Christian thing. Come and see. Check it out. You know, just as today there were invitations extended in the Scripture, if we look through the Scripture, there's all kinds of invitations that were extended. It's not something that's new. If we read, we see invitations in the Old Testament spoken through prophets that came directly from the Father. We see invitations in the New Testament directly from Jesus himself. We see invitations in the New Testament and even all the way to the last chapter of the Revelation from the Holy Spirit, an invitation. We see invitations from other people in the Scriptures. And we see oftentimes how they change the lives of people dramatically. So this morning I want to spend a few minutes looking at some of the invitations in Scripture. And I want to try to then bring it home to us. First, some divine invitations. Divine invitations, I call them that because they were extended to people from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 18, or 1, verse 18, and if you looked at all these in context, and I'm not going to go through all that with each scripture, I encourage you to write them down, but 
The prophet had just given a scorching rebuke to God's people about the way that they had been living and the way that they rejected him. And then in verse 18, the prophet says these words from the Lord. He says, come now and let us reason together. An invitation from the Father. Let's get together and reason together. Let's get together and talk about this. He's just given this scorching rebuke, and he says, let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, well, you will eat the best from the land. An invitation following a scorching rebuke to come and receive forgiveness. To receive forgiveness. He says, if you just respond to this invitation, if you just come and we reason together, if we have this conversation between me, the Father God, and you, and you respond, your sins will be forgiven and blessings will follow. Again, in the, through the prophet Isaiah, he offers another invitation in verses, chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. And here, a little bit of the background is they've been under all kinds of attack from the enemy, God's people. And he is just finishing to the, through the prophet saying, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And then he goes on and says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 55, come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Come, the invitation again is come to the Father. And he's offering without cost, no cost, just come to all who are willing to receive what will truly satisfy. And I think we all understand the picture there. It's not about food. It's not about natural water or earthly water. It's about the bread of life and about living water. And he just says, come and receive without cost. Salvation costs nothing to us. It costs Christ his life and the Father his Son. But he says, come freely and drink of that water. Jesus extends an invitation. And once again, it's interesting, so many of these invitations from from God follow rebukes, some not so gentle. He is just, Jesus has just finished rebuking unrepentant cities and comparing them to to Sodom. And he says, oh, it's going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom. But then he says these words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. All of you who are to the point of exhaustion, who are carrying burdens that are too heavy for you to cover, to carry, come to me. Let me carry them. He says, and I will give you rest. Oh, how relevant is this today? We're weary. We're wore out. We're carrying burdens that we do not need to carry. God will carry them. Christ will carry them for us. Come to me, all who are weary, 
all who are heavy laden, carrying these burdens. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. His yoke is easy. His yoke is light. What does it mean to be yoked to Christ? It means we're part of his family. His yoke is easy. We give him the burden. Let him carry it. Put our faith and trust in him. Does it disappear immediately? No, of course not. But he's carrying it now, and he will give us grace to walk through that valley with him, and he's promised he's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He'll walk us through that valley no matter what it is. Don't continue to carry those burdens. Give them to him. My yoke is easy. Spiritual rest to all who are willing to become his disciples. I tell you what, spiritual rest, boy, oh boy, is it refreshing. It takes away that physical fatigue, that physical tiredness when we rest spiritually. Spiritual rest, the Holy Spirit in us, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit, the reviving of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. It doesn't mean we don't steward our own bodies. It doesn't mean that at all. But he says, just come to me, and you will find a rest for your soul, a rest that is not dependent upon circumstances, It's not dependent upon what's going on in your life right now. You can still be at rest and receive a spiritual rest and live in that spiritual rest if you'll come to me. And then in Revelation 22, verse 17, only four or five verses left in the whole Bible and the Holy Spirit is still extending an invitation. He says in verse verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. To all who desires the water of life. And the beauty of this is, is, is Brian encouraged us this morning, and I really felt the Lord was putting the same thing on my heart, that the Holy Spirit is the only one, the songs we sang, the Holy Spirit is the one that pursues us. The Holy Spirit is searching for those who will respond. He's pursuing us. He's wooing us. And then he gives us the grace to accept the wooing. He gives us the grace to respond in an affirmative way. So when he's offering all those things with the invitation about coming, he's already calling. He's drawing us. There's that something in us when it happens that first time, and we don't even know what it is. We hear that quite often. What was going on during that music when everybody was singing? I just felt this something inside of me. I I got warm. I got hot. Welcome to the Holy Spirit's presence. And the Holy Spirit's wooing and calling. And all we have to do is respond. And then we receive the waters of life, the rivers of living water, the bread of life. Jesus changes our life completely. So notice how often God's invitation. His message comes in that form. I want to take a look at some human invitations in the scripture. I'm going to start with one through the prophet Isaiah again in chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, and chief among the mountains, it will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. And it says, many people, in verse 3, will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. All the peoples will say, Come. 
people are going to be involved in the invitation that God's extending. True in the Bible, true in the New Testament, and it's true today. God will use us to extend invitations to come and see, come and experience. A few more that maybe you're a little more familiar with in the New Testament, some different individuals. The first one, Andrew. Now, Andrew, we see him and we're introduced to him kind of in when, when John the Baptist, a couple of his disciples are with him and John the Baptist says, there goes the Lamb of God. And they go and follow him. And they go up to Jesus. And they ask him, where are you going? And Jesus responds in verse 39, come, come, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that entire day with him. It was about the tenth hour, so Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So Andrew had heard, Jesus said, come, Andrew went and sat at the feet of Jesus for most of the day. And then it says, the very first thing, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. And he told him, he says, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says these words. You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is called Peter. Notice what happens. Andrew is impacted. He responded to an invitation from the Lord himself, followed him, sat at his feet, and heard his teaching. And it so created a passion in him that he immediately, it says, immediately the first thing he did was run to his brother to share the good news. We found the Messiah. We found the Christ. Come and see. It's interesting to me as we go through all of these, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Testament, if you respond to the come and see, there's blessing that follows always. Come and see. So Peter comes and sees, and it looks like before he had a chance to say anything, which was probably a good idea for Peter, Jesus says to him, changing your name. I know who you are. Immediately he is blessed as he responds to that invitation. A little bit further in the next few verses, we see Philip. He invited Nathaniel to meet Jesus. It says, the next day Jesus decided, this is in John chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him. Now, I don't want to read too much into that simple word, but it's the first time I've really struck me was finding Philip. Did he accidentally stumble across Philip? I don't think Jesus accidentally stumbled across anybody. He found Philip. He had a plan before the foundations of the earth for Philip, just like he does us. It says, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me, the invitation. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found one, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, 
and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel's response was, Nazareth? It's kind of like going, Nazareth, you've got to be kidding me. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Nathaniel said, come and see. Come and see. He didn't debate. He didn't argue. Come and see. Immediate response. You know, sometimes if we actually respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and we extend an invitation, the first thing we'll hear is what? An excuse. I remember before I was saved, there was a bunch of these nuts that are still in the church. Frickies, Johnny and Clarice, Pam and Evan. I think John and Nieder might have joined in already. But I was way too smart for that crew. I wasn't going to join that group that was meeting in a Bible study. But then there was another one named Dan Stewart. And Dan and I would hang around together quite a bit. And I don't know, I've thought about this this week as I was thinking about this invitation. Because what would I hear in town was rumors. Well, I hope there were rumors. About all the stupid, crazy, nutty things this group of people were doing in this Bible study. Crazy things. I mean, they even had them running around and rolling in the snow without clothes on. They were so crazy. <laughs> Who wants to be associated with those guys? Maybe if you don't know who they are, they should have them raise their hands so you can avoid them. I don't know if it was fear of rejection because I didn't want to be associated with all those stories or what, but I'd stop in at Dan's at least once a week, maybe more often. I'd say, hey, what are you guys doing? These were all my friends. These are the guys I used to live a very unchristian life with. I know that's hard to believe about Bob, Pastor Bob, but it's true. I said, what are you guys doing? This is what I heard. Mother, my mother was one of my mouthpieces. She would speak into this other ear. Michael, you need to go check these guys out. And they ended up in a Bible study with the Frickies. Or maybe they were already in it. I don't remember. And I go to Dan's and I say, what are you guys doing? Well, come and see. I'm not, no way. And I'd leave. I'd come back again and hear another ridiculous story. And I'd say, is this true? He says, no, it's not true. What are you guys doing? And he'd throw some scripture at me. It was just like a great big fish hook being thrown out in the water, and I'm just ready to grab it, you know. Come and see. Come and see. And I remember after I finally went, went and saw, it was a trick. They trapped me and Cindy. Dan and Becky invited us out for supper. All right, free food. Well, finish eating a cheese. You know what? We got time to get back to Pam and Evan's house. That's where they were meeting come and see. I ran out of excuses. I was in their car. So we went and saw. And I remember a few years later, some of you will remember the name Helen Valonis. Just a little lady who was a little spitfire and she was prophesying and she was walking around the church and I'm just thinking, this is weird. And I remember she stopped over by me and said, you know, who caught this fish? You have no idea what kind of fish you caught. And here we are, umpteen years later, because I responded to an invitation to come and see. And somebody had the courage to keep inviting me time after time after time when I said no, 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 no. And then he trapped us. 
but we were ready to be trapped because we were seeing what was happening in the lives of these people who got it already captured. Come and see. There was a Samaritan woman. It's a story I think a lot of us are familiar with in John chapter 4. This is a Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus was thirsty and he went to the well and the Samaritan woman was drawing some water and, and they got in this conversation and Jesus starts talking to her about living water and she's going right past her like it would most of us. And all of a sudden Jesus says, why don't you go back into town and get your husband? She goes, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, you are right about that. You've had five and the guy you're living with now is not married to you. I mean, she was so proud of him knowing that that she went to town and told everybody about Jesus. Think about that. The disciples showed up and she took off and went into town. And she starts telling everybody she knows. And I'm wondering, were they really friends? Did she really have influence in that community? She'd been divorced five times, living up with another guy now unmarried. And yet she was so excited about what she had experienced with Jesus. What his teachings were, how it had impacted his life. She went into town and said, you guys got to come and see. And they responded. It says in verse 28, leaving her water jar, she forgot why she was even there. She was so excited. She went back into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. How many would you like to meet that man? Oh, yeah, I know you. I know everything. Well, that's true. He knows everything. And he's inviting you anyway. He invited me anyway. And he knew everything about me. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town and made their way toward him. And he ended up spending two days with the Samaritan people in that village. Many, 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 many came to believe. Because first, the lady at the well responded to the message of Jesus. And then she went into town. I mean, man, she, she really wasn't all that educated and trained in all the proper steps of evangelism. She probably couldn't quote and even explain what this whole living waters concept was. How many of us use excuses that we're not ready, we're not smart enough, we're not good enough, we're not this enough? We use excuses not to invite. The Samaritan woman just went in and said, hey, I met this person. He knows everything about me changed everything. Notice how her passion overtook her task, her reason for being there. Notice who Jesus used. A Samaritan woman. Married and divorced five times, living with another man. And he used her. And many, many, many people in that village got saved. There was a man named Matthew, Levi. He was a tax collector. Jesus came to him and said, Matthew, follow me. Now, they were not popular people amongst the Jewish people. They were ripping off the people as they collected the taxes. And what does Jesus do? In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth, and he just simply says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now I finally understood how Dan had enough courage to invite me to go eat with him. I don't think I was as bad as a tax collector. But 
Jesus uses Matthew. He sends an invitation, extends an invitation, he responds, and immediately he invites other tax collectors, other sinners. And then it says a whole bunch of other people, which I would assume would have been friends and acquaintances. And they come to the banquet to be around Jesus. And if you read the story a little further, you discover uh, it doesn't take long, and the Pharisees are upset, and the religious people are upset, and ask him, what in the world are you doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? And that's when he says, I came for people like Mike. I came for people like you. I came for the sick. I came for those that are sinners, those that need a Savior. That's who I came for. All we need to do is respond to the invitation. Jump ahead real quick. Invitations work. They worked in the Bible. They worked in the Old Testament. They worked in the New Testament. They worked when it was God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And it worked when it was one of the disciples. Or it worked when it was other people. Cornelius and his family, he, he was a commander in the Caesarean commander in the Italian cohort or the Italian battalion. And he gets a visitation. He was a righteous man, it said. He, he was a devout man. And he even gave money to the Jews, alms to the Jews. And, and he gets visited by an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord tells him to invite Peter. And Peter goes, and Cornelius invites his whole family. Come, Peter's coming, come to the house. They all come. They all get saved. All get saved. An invitation. You know, today's generation, it's different, right? Isn't that a great excuse? It's different today. Well, the reality is this. Today's generation is more connected than any previous generation ever. There is a connectedness. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Snapchat. I don't know what the last three are, and there's probably more I don't know anything about. But they're connected. But the matter of the fact is, the truth is, they're lonelier than ever before. Survey after survey after survey shows this. With all of this connectedness, with all of this ability and social media to connect, they're lonelier than ever. Depression, suicide rates, It's crazy. Social media lets us keep up with people. But personal invitations, being in the same space at the same time, is the only way to build relationships. And as when you look through all those invitations that you see in the scripture, the ones that came from people were to people they were in relationship with. Friends and family. The power of invitation is magnified when the invitation is extended to friends and family. We absolutely should never mistake information for intimacy. I mean, there are so many people out there that know so much about you. I mean, I mean not, I'm not casting stones, but boy, some of you are really different than me. I mean, I know what you eat some meals, because you put a picture of your plate on Facebook. I know when you're going on vacation. I know when your house is empty. I know where you're going. 
I know who you're seeing. Information, information, information. Does that make me and you more intimate? Not in the least. We are friends on Facebook who really, really don't have relationship. Information is not intimacy. Communication is not community. You know, it's interesting for invitations. Let, let me ask a question. I, I, I hope this isn't embarrassing to anybody. It's not, it shouldn't be. How many of you are here because at one time or another you were invited by somebody else? Just raise your hands. Look around. Go ahead. Keep your hands up. Look around. What would we be if nobody invited anybody? Well, the reality is this. And listen to these numbers. 80% of people who have been churched or that are not going to church currently say they would be somewhat or very likely to go if they were invited by somebody. 80% of people that have went to church, they're no longer going to church for whatever reason, say, if I would receive a personal invitation from somebody that I knew, I would be somewhat or very likely to attend that church and just go visit. Of the unchurched, those that have never gone to church, statistics say, the research says, 62% are likely or very likely to respond to an invitation to attend church. 62% of the unchurched. I mean, seriously, think about it. Who wants to go to another meeting this week? There's something missing in people's lives. Here's the flip side of those numbers. In a given year, 2% of churchgoers, regular churchgoers, extend an invitation to somebody else to come to church. 62% of the unchurched, 80% of those who have been churched but aren't going to church would likely respond, somewhat likely to respond, but only 2% of people that are regular attenders ever invite anybody to go to church. in the world is going on. Why are we so hesitant to invite people to church? This is also an interesting fact. An invitation will oftentimes cause them to come. 90% of the people say that the reason they'll come back after the first visit is the pastor. But once they've been there a while, the pastor drops way down here, and you know what the reason is they stay? Community. Community. They are looking for relationships. They are looking for community. They are looking for a relationship with Jesus Christ, even though they don't know that. What they do know is they are looking for a relationship with a community of people like us, like you. They see something about us, about you, that they like. And very, very, very often... They are drawn to the community of the church way before they're drawn to the message of the church. And that's okay. That's okay. They may need to become part of the community before they really grasp and understand the message. The important thing is the message is being given. And they stay because of community. You and I have the power to change someone's life forever. That goofy group of my old friends and the persistence of Dan Stewart changed my life forever. Yes, I know, the Holy Spirit, he gets all the credit. I understand that. But he worked through people. 
Interesting, he worked through people in the Old Testament, he worked through people in the New Testament, and he still works through people today. You have the power to change someone's life through a simple invitation. But I want to add a few thoughts as I close, because I want us to be a little strategic with an invitation. Meet somebody, call one of your friends, hey, you want to go to church? And the answer would be, why would I want to do that? What the heck? My calendar's full. I do not need another meeting. I can sleep in. What are you inviting them to? If that's all you're inviting them to is a meeting, it's not the right motives, and it's not going to work very well. Why do you go to church? How many of you need one more thing on your calendar? I can help you. (laughs) We don't need another thing on our calendar. I want to challenge you. Why do you go to church? That's why you should invite and how you should invite other people. I love the music and the the praise and worship. Great. Tell them that. The preaching, no matter who preaches in that pulpit, they preach from the word of God. I like that. Tell them that. They have a youth group for my children. Tell them that. They have a nursery for my little kids to go to so I can actually listen to what's taking place during the service. Tell them that. There's ladies' groups. They even do a retreat. It's so awesome. We get to know each other. We fellowship. Tell them that. They have life groups, small communities within the church that you can go and plug in and get to know a few people. And all of a sudden, you've got some people that care about you, that love you, that you can trust. Community, they're starving for community. Tell them that. All of those things enable us to find common ground with people. If you're observant and listen at all, and you know them at all, you know what they're looking for. Maybe what they're looking for, I don't know, I'm just so wore out and exhausted. You know what? I get that way every week. But I go to this church service on Sunday morning, and it's like the refreshing wind comes, and I feel just so amazing afterwards. Tell them that. That didn't save them. But you met them where they're at. Get them around a group of people in a place where they will hear the message. Find common ground with them. They're lonely. There is such fellowship if we find people. in the, They really care. They really care. I had someone just this week, and they're here, so I'm not going to say their name. But one of the things that surprised them was how many people cared. Tell them that. Be strategic telling them those things that give you some common ground. Very practical thing, very strategic thing. Don't be weird. Some of us are good at weird We are called a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird, right? That means we're peculiar because we look different than the world. Don't be weird. There's plenty of weirdos out there. Unless you really connect and that's your common ground. Don't be weird. And remember this. You're the church. When you invite them to come to church, make sure you understand you are are the church. You're inviting them to be part of your life in the church. They don't need to come to a building. There's lots of buildings. They don't need to come to some religious exercise. They can get that anywhere. When you're inviting people to church, use whatever words you need to use, whatever way you can connect, but let them know you want to invite them to a place where there's relationships and we're connected through Christ. 
They may not understand a lot of it, but that's the important thing to know, that you're not just asking them to join an organization. Inviting somebody to church. You know, I got a letter just in the mail this week from another church asking somebody who wanted to transfer their membership to that church. I'm thinking, God, that's going to be hard. We don't have any paperwork. (laughs) The only way this is an organization is if the state requires us to be one, to be tax-exempt. What we are is a family of believers united by the Holy Spirit because of Christ and what he's done. That's it. And that's what people are really looking for. And look who he used in the Bible. He can use them. He can use us to change people's life. So I want to invite you to do a couple things. If you're a visitor, fill out a visitor's card. We'd love to have you fill out a visitor's card. Check out the website. Find out more about us. Talk to us. Visit again. Maybe it'll be a better sermon next week. I won't count on it, but maybe. (laughs) And then I want to extend a little more invitation as I quit. If you've never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's saying, come and see. Jesus died for your sins. There is a peace that passes all understanding once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, your sins are forgiven. We repent of the sins that, that caused Jesus to go to the cross. He had, somebody had to die, and he died in our place. He died in your place. And the invitation is to come. Find out. There are a whole bunch of people in here that can tell you exactly what that means. If you've never, ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you're counting on something religious that you've done, it doesn't work that way. By grace through faith. God has a purpose and a destiny for every single person in this room. But for his children of God, it will be accomplished. Come. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you called us. You called me. And you extended grace for each one of us to accept that gift of salvation through Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there are someone here or many people here that have never truly surrendered their life to Christ, accepted the gift of salvation through what Jesus did, his death, burial, and resurrection, that they would do that today. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is inviting and wooing and drawing us. I thank you, Lord, for today and pray your protection over each one of us as we go our separate directions today. Be with us. Lord, I pray you would put on each one of our hearts those friends or family members or even some casual acquaintances that we can invite to your church to discover you and your people. Put that on our hearts. Give us the grace to act on it. In Jesus' name, amen.